You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. I love this church. I hope you love this church. I love this church. Uh, Just even today, we have teenagers helping with not-so-teenager folks, helping to collect the offering. We have people from very little tiny all the way up to very seasoned and gray, opening the door and welcoming people. I heard stories of a whole bunch of food being prepared for people. I I had this crazy thought while we were doing this, and I don't know if this is even possible, but I I realized there are Ukrainians who sing songs to the same tunes that we sing to, and so maybe next week we need to hear a Ukrainian language of the same song. We all praise the Lord together. People praying for the service, even as we're preaching, people praying for one another, caring for one another. Even now in the kids, there are people helping moms to help with their little kiddo. I love this church, and it is only because of Jesus Christ that we all even hang out with each other. Do you realize that? It's Christ who builds this church and brings us together. If you have your Bible and you want to start making your way to Romans 8, 18 through 30, we're going to take a look at that today. I want to just remind us that last week we examined Paul's teaching that uh, those who are in Christ are adopted children of God. Praise the Lord. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's wonderful. And we love that. But then Paul, uh, by the inspiration of God, writing you know, together with God, said the following in Romans 18, excuse me, Romans 8, 16, and 17. He said, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Woohoo! And if children also heirs, woo, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus, all good news. And then he says, If indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. What? Paul just told us that we're God's children. And that God's children will suffer with Jesus. We don't want to hear that, do we? I don't want to preach that. As Christians, we suffer. What? We don't like that at all, do we? We spend an insane amount of energy trying to avoid suffering. Trying to get out from underneath suffering. trying Trying to get away from that and try to run from that as far as we can. In our culture today, and probably in most cultures around the world, we, in our sinful state, have no value for suffering. We don't want it. We don't like it. We don't value it. In fact, we hate suffering. Yet, there it is in God's Word. If you are a child of God, you will suffer with Christ. In fact, that's the proof Paul went to that we are children of God. Are you kidding me? That's tough. God's children suffer. How could this be? Why why would this be? But that's the big question. We can understand why people who aren't God's children would suffer, but why do Christians suffer? Why is it hard? That's the question. That's the question the text we're looking at this morning sets out, inspired by God, for us to answer. So let's take a look together. Romans 18, 
excuse me, Romans 8, 18 through 30. And I, and I hope you'll follow along with me. If you need a Bible, there's one somewhere under a chair in front of you or near you. It's on page 1003. All this stuff is in the Version app. If you find our event, you can follow along that way if you use the app. Let's read God's Word together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons and daughters to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is not seen is, excuse me, hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we look at this text, as we look at this truth that you've put before us, as we seek to answer the question, why do your children suffer? Lord, please comfort us and guide us into your truth. Lord, we seek the Holy Spirit's illumination of this text that we would see and understand that all doubt would be lifted, all fear would be lifted, all anxiety would be lifted. Lord, and we would trust you as children. Trust good parents. Give us heart like children to trust you. Lord, it's my, my sincerest prayer that you would comfort those who suffer. And Lord, I know there is much suffering in this fallen, broken world, even among your people sitting in here right now, and maybe those watching online. So, Lord, we seek to understand. We seek to, to see. So give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear from you. And, Lord, give us the courage to take that truth and apply it in our lives that it would transform us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in our precious Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Let's see if we can understand this a little bit. Paul said, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's the Holy Spirit showing us, testifying to us. It goes on to say, if indeed we suffer 
with him, we may also be glorified with him. Wow. That is the most unexpected follow-up till you are an adopted child of God, is it not? That is not where I would go if I were making up the Bible. Good news is I'm not making up the Bible. This is God's truth to us, written here in this case by Paul's hand. We have to suffer as Christians. See, if I, if I were thinking how this should go, I'd be thinking, hey, now that we're children of God, it's time for easy street, right? Smooth sailing, no problems. I got a really good dad, and he's going to take care of all my, he's going to snowplow all my problems away. We are in good shape here, spoiled beyond spoiled, no issues. Isn't that what we would do? Isn't this what we should do, Paul? No. There's no, no? What are you saying, Paul? God, what are you showing us here? Why do we suffer? I think it's helpful if we understand what he's talking about with suffering. Okay, the word that's used here means to, to suffer or to endure, but mostly to suffer. That's how it comes out. And technically, the word here is used two times. There's a little add-on to the word suffer or endure that means together. To suffer together. To endure together. So in this case, we're suffering together with Christ. He's suffering with you. You're suffering with him. We're doing this together. Scholars are divided on this. What is this, what is this suffering? One approach is that suffering is because of persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. We suffer because we proclaim his name and the world hates Christ, and so we suffer with Christ in that way, and certainly the Bible says that will be the case, and that is true. Another way we could look at this suffering is that we suffer in this world because of the effects of the fall. We're being redeemed by Christ, but the world is still in, in disarray. And there are some that think that's not the case, but I say, if you don't think that's the case, why does Paul immediately go to the fact that even creation is groaning and suffering under the weight of our fall, and even we are groaning and, and suffering under the weight of the fall? I think that's I think a strong case. I think that's, a, that's what he's talking about here. At least one of the ways he's talking about suffering is this, this groaning because of the fall, this, this having to endure this suffering. So yes, for Christ's name, but also because of Adam's transgressions and because of our own transgressions. Cancer? Yeah. Disastrous weather, earthquakes, people sinning against you, war, death, all that kind of suffering. All of it. Pain. So that's the second kind of suffering this could be referring to. It could be referring to a third kind of suffering. The third kind of suffering is enduring something that God himself is putting you through. The heat of the refining fire. The pruning. You know, if the illustration of pruning works because cutting branches off trees, you know, you don't think about how that hurts. But pruning in our life hurts. We suffer, or at least we think we do. I don't like the sound of this. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. 
So I think we can see that any one of these three can be applied to this word suffering, and I'm actually going to contend that I think all three can be put into this word suffering. It's probably all of them, but I want you to remember that Paul adds that little qualifier to the word. It's not just suffering. It's suffering, it says, with him. That's how it's translated in our English. With him, with Christ. He's specifically talking about the suffering that we do as we are in Christ, as we are his children, as we are Christians. This is suffering as Christians, not suffering as the world suffers, but as we hope in Christ and as we walk with Christ. He's clearly saying there is a suffering in that. So then it raises some serious questions. Why do God's children suffer? That's a real fair question. That's the question he's starting to answer, even though it's not expressly written. He knows that's where our heart goes. Now, there are some answers in the world. There are people who say they're Christians. At least they claim to be. There are people that write books, go on TV, go around the world like missionaries, and they try to answer this question, and they answer it badly. They are wrong answers. So don't get lost in that. I'm about to go through three of them. I just think we need to be aware of what the wrong answers are. Here's one of them. People will stand up and say, God's children don't suffer. If you're suffering, they say, it must be because you're not one of God's children. If you're suffering, you must not be saved. If you're going through problems, maybe God is not blessing you because you're not his. But if you repent and do all this stuff, then maybe you will be, and then you won't suffer. And then they go on and they say this, the most cherished of all God's children have the best stuff. And if you are God's children, you'll have stuff too. You'll have money and health and wealth, and you won't have these problems. You must have this because you're not a child of God. And the reason that these people have really fancy airplanes and really fancy cars and the best clothes is they say because God loves them more. This is totally antithetical to the teaching of the Bible. It is nonsense, it is garbage, it is wrong, and if you hear anybody saying they're preaching that as a gospel, run away because it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are wolves and charlatans, and they're giving you a false bill of goods. It's trash. Never, at least according to what I'm reading right here in Romans and the rest of the Bible, never should a Christian doubt that he or she is a Christian a child of God, because he or she is suffering. Never. It's a false lie that the devil is trying to sell us. And it's garbage. The second bad answer is that you suffer because you don't have enough faith. Or you suffer because you don't have strong enough faith. Trash, nonsense, heresy. This false nonsense says that, well, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't have this problem. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't have infertility issues. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't struggle with cancer. If you just had more faith, you'd get that job. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't be displaced because of war. If you just had more faith, everything would go well for you. Not true. That's a lie. I could give you a lot of illustrations, but let me give you this one. The Apostle Paul. I would challenge anyone to make that faith statement to Paul. Then that little guy would punch you in the face. <laughs> Here's what Paul says. Listen to his life as a Christian. Five times 
I received the 40 lashes mining one, minus one. That's a death sentence being beaten to an, within an inch of your life where you barely survive. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. They thought he was dead, by the way. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day adrift in the open sea on frequent journeys. I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, and often without food, cold, and without clothing. Paul suffered. He was beaten, shipwrecked, went through all kinds of woes and struggles. How about this? He had people make a vow that they would not eat or drink anything until they killed him. You ever have that happen to you? That's a bad day. He had some kind of eye problem. We're not entirely sure what it was. He said Alexander the coppersmith did something that caused him great harm. He was abandoned. He was thrown in jail often. He was bitten by a two-step viper. That's where you get bit and you have two steps before you fall over dead. It's highly likely he was beheaded in Rome. Safe to say that Paul suffered. Would you not agree? That sounds miserable. Terrible. And yet that man had great faith. Tremendous faith. Tell him you don't have enough faith. That's why you're suffering. Give me a break. That's just one illustration. The Bible is full of them. Church history is full of them. Some of you would make great illustrations to the rest of us about suffering well. Saying you don't suffer if you're a child of God is nonsense. And it does not line up with the Bible. You hear someone tell you that, you say, that's not true. The Bible says otherwise. The third reason that people will answer why Christians suffer They'll say it like this. This is the worst, I think, of all of them. You suffer because God is a mean God who takes joy in your suffering. He's like a kid burning ants with a magnifying glass. That's God, they say. This particular statement usually comes from those who don't profess to be Christians. God's terrible. This is heresy. This is nonsense. Look back at Romans 8, 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things. You mean my, my cancer? Yeah. You mean my infertility? Yeah. You mean the fact that my dad shot my mom and shot her fiancé and then killed himself and killed the fiancé? Yeah. And we dealt with that here in this church, didn't we? You mean the fact that I lost my job? Yeah. You mean an earthquake in Turkey that killed 20,000 people? Yeah. You mean a war that caused all my friends and family to be displaced and scattered all over the globe? Yeah, that's all things. All means all. All things work together for the good of those who love God. And here's the proof of that statement. 
For those he, God, foreknew. He knows you personally. For those he foreknew before the foundation of the world was laid, he knew you. He knew you. And he called you. He beckoned you like a, like a king summons his people. He says, you, I love you, come. Does this sound like good news? It does. That doesn't sound bad to me. And then he justified all those whom he said come. Justified means right legal standing in court. You don't have a death sentence on you. I don't know about you. That sounds great. That sounds like a God who wants good for us. He was doing it all the way then, and he was doing it through Christ. He says he's taking you all the way to glory. And that all sounds good. How did he justify us? How did he do this? If nothing else, hear how good this is. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who would be the first fruit so that Jesus would have many brothers and sisters. That's what the text we read says. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to take that death sentence, to be raised from the grave, to defeat death. That's good news. That's a loving God, not an angry God who wants to burn ants. That's a loving God. And he's interceding for us right now on our behalf. That sounds good. You know what the intercession looks like? That is Jesus praying for us so that we can endure the challenges of this world, so that we can suffer well with him. He's interceding. He's praying for us. Like people in the prayer room right now are praying for us. Jesus is doing that perfectly for us right now, that we could suffer well. It looks like Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. I want to read it to you. Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I can promise you for sure, at that moment, Peter was turning back. And Peter's faith would not fail. You know why? Because Jesus prayed that. And Jesus always does the will of the Father, and all prayers in the will of the Father are answered. Peter was safe and secure, even though Satan said, I want to sift that one. Notice that Jesus did not say, Peter, I kept Satan from sifting you. He said, Peter, you're going to suffer at the sifting of Satan. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail and you will turn back. And when you do, strengthen your brothers and sisters. And Peter did just that, even us. Peter's an encouragement to us. He wrote words in the Bible. He's a guide to us. All things, Peter getting sifted by Satan, work out for the good of those who love God. That's what it looks like when Jesus is interceding, that we would endure suffering, that we would remain faithful, that we would grow, that his kingdom would be advanced, that we would help our brothers and sisters. All sorts of good, not bad. And Jesus dying for us, for you and for me, is proof that God loves us. That God has the best in mind for us. So, man, if you, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. He's calling you. 
Maybe this is the beckoning to you. This is the summons from God to you right now. You're hearing my voice. You're reading it. You're watching online, whatever it may be. God's calling you. Turn to him. You want to talk more about it? Let's talk. Let's open the Bible. Let's see what it is to follow Jesus and be loved by God. You want to go in the prayer room after the service and, and pray with somebody? We'll do that. Because God loves you. And all things are working for the good of those who love God. Be a part of God's children. Now, we struggle with the question, don't we? Why do God's children suffer? I struggle with the question. I meet with many of you who struggle with the question. This is where Satan gets in and, and puts doubt in our minds. We struggle with this. Why? Because we struggle with the biblical answer. Sometimes it seems too simple. Sometimes it doesn't seem like enough. Sometimes we just struggle to trust God. But God is asking us to trust him in your suffering, through your suffering, as you see the suffering of others, as you try to avoid suffering, he's asking us to trust him. So now let's look at God's answer and let's at least hope, Lord, please help us to hear it and to, to trust you and to, to be comforted by your word. Give us the eyes to see and believe. Please, Lord. Let's look at the answer. Look back at Romans 16 and 17. That's what got us into this whole thing because the answer is right there. Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if God's children, also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Notice that Paul said we are God's children and then he says the proof of that is that we suffer with him. That's the proof he goes to. Suffering is proof of sonship. It's the evidence. We are God's children and, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if, indeed, we suffer with him. doesn't mean suffering makes us children. We suffer because we are children. Because it's proof that we are loved by God. I know most of you right now are saying that sounds terrible. But let's see if we can trust what God says about this and why we are suffering. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. It's on page 1069 if you're using the Pew Bible. Listen to what God has to say about why his children, I hope that's you, suffer. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 7, says, Endure suffering as a discipline. God is dealing with you as sons, or you could say as his children. I just have this picture in my head of a little child and their parent. Let's keep reading. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. And some of them didn't do a good job. I recognize that. Don't let their 
bad parenting taints your relationship with the perfect father. But he does it for our benefit. Why? So that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Suffering is about training and discipleship to be conformed into God's image, to be grown and matured in preparation for an eternity with God. It's good for God's children. This training and, and discipline is for our good. Don't we do this with small kids? So why wouldn't we think God wouldn't do it with us? Flip a page over or so to James chapter 1. This is where the paper Bible really helps because the app, you still got to go through the whole rigmarole. I just had to turn the page. James 1, look at verses 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, or you could say suffering, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. Jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Suffering is about purifying and shaping us. Okay, it's fitting us for the kingdom of glory with God for those who love him. It's preparing us. He spent nine months in the womb to be prepared for this life. This life is like the womb to prepare us for eternity. Suffering is good for us. It shapes us. This training and this purifying teaches us to hope in God and have patience with him while we trust him. Look back over again to the text we're looking at, Romans 24 and 25. 8, Romans 8, 24 and 25. Now, in this hope, we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what is seen? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Suffering and hoping is teaching us patience, to trust God. It's good. This is good for us. We need this. It's shaping us. Suffering in this way, with Christ, is for our good. But there's one more reason we suffer. It's not just, there's actually quite a few, but I'm not going to go to those because the text doesn't. But here in the text, we see another reason. It's not just for the proof of our sonship or daughtership. Suffering is the path to glory. It is the path of glory. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, that's what the text says. Let's take a look. Go back to our 16 and 17 verse. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we suffer with him, why would we do that? So that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering is the path to glory. It's God's design. It's God's plan. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Right there in language with suffering is language about hope on the unseen. It's right there together. And listen to Paul's words about suffering and affliction in this world. How does he describe it? Here's his words. Momentary light. Suffering in this world is momentary and light. But it's doing something. It's doing something. The verse says it's producing an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. It's doing something. It has meaning. It has significance. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. But it's working in your life to produce this incomparable eternal weight of glory. It's not just for your good right now. It's for your eternal good forever. And in comparison to forever, right now looks pretty momentary and light. It's all for your Good. It's all for your good. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things, includes all that suffering, works together for our good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. All things. Suffering as a Christian is a good thing. Now listen, we don't go looking for suffering. That's not smart. We don't create suffering for ourselves thinking that's going to shape us. That's just self-harm. We don't need to create more suffering in our lives. Nobody needs that. And yeah, we should seek to reduce the suffering in other people's lives. We can't just go, oh, they're learning a good lesson in Jesus right now, so we're not going to feed the hungry or, or give water to those who don't have a cup of cold. That's No, we're also called to reduce suffering in people's lives. And in that way, we're shaped and suffering is still doing something for good. We're learning. We're growing. Other people are learning and growing. You know, 45, 50-minute drive to pick somebody up for church, for some might sound like suffering. For others, it might sound like God doing a mighty and fantastic work in the lives of other people. Giving up amounts of your hard-earned money for the blessing of others might sound like suffering, but it's good for you and for God's people. So we want to help to alleviate suffering, but we want to make sure that when suffering does happen, we have the right mindset about what it's for and what it's doing. That we don't use sin to get out of suffering. That we don't point a finger to God and say, God, you must not love me because of my suffering. But quite the opposite, in fact, that we embrace it. And I know it's hard. I've suffered from time to time. It's hard. I get it. Somewhere down deep, some of you are saying, but Brian, you don't know what I'm going through. 
You're right. I don't know what you're dealing with with that cancer. I don't know what you're dealing with with the loss of your spouse. I don't know what you're dealing with with infertility structures, struggles, although my wife and I have gone through that. I don't know what it's like to lose a child, although I've gone through that too. But I don't know what it's like for you to go through that. I don't know what it's like to be displaced and have everything I own taken and have to go all across the world and live in a place with a new culture. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to endure the things you've endured. I don't know what you're suffering really entails i only get a glimpse as your pastor i get to walk alongside you in some of it but really i don't know but god does god knows he's suffering with you he's there in it with you he sees it he's carrying you through it jesus is interceding for you god knows what you're going through God shows us that suffering is for our training and purification. He's giving you his word. He's showing you that it's good. He's begging you. He's, he's beckoning you to believe him and trust him. God knows, and he promises that he uses our suffering, what you're going through, your suffering and my suffering, to work for our good. God calls it good. So shouldn't we? God calls it good. Will you trust him in your suffering? It's easy to trust him when everything's going well. Will you trust him when, from our perspective, it seems like it's not? I know he'll carry you through. I know he'll carry me through. I know he will bring us to glory, and this is for our good. We just need to see what he's doing and worship him through it. We need to abide in him and keep our eyes on him through it because it is for our good. I know it. And I pray that God will comfort us in it while we suffer. And I pray that this church will come around those and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and help carry burdens and celebrate together. Because that's why he put the church together. To proclaim his glory, to help one another, to be a witness to the world. Oh, church, I pray we can help one another suffer well. And endure it well i want to close on some encouragement for the christian i hope you find this as encouraging as i do romans 8 18 says for i consider the sufferings of this present time for i consider that the sufferings of this present time what you are going through right now and if you're not suffering right now you will in the future or what you've gone through i for i consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us please hear that please let that sink in today's suffering are not even worth comparing to the glory to come no comparison necessary not worth it waste of time it's not like the hike you go on where you're like well the hike is kind of hard but the view that's amazing. It's not like that. That's comparison. It's not like, well, this life was hard, but wow. It's not even worth comparing. It pales in comparison. Someday we'll be in a position where we don't even see the comparison. It's such nonsense. 
I long for that day. I hope you long for that day, but we're not there yet. So let's look to that, hoping in what is unseen, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, knowing he's bringing us through this for our good, because even 2 Corinthians 4.17 calls it an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. You just hold on to Jesus because he's interceding for you now. He's carrying you now. He's bringing you there now. Even as you're watching others suffer, encourage them. Hold on to Jesus. It doesn't even compare to the incomparable, eternal weight of glory God has for you, that he's calling you to, that he's saying, you can get through this, child. We got this, and it's going to be grand. I know you're suffering right now, and I know it's hard. Don't hope in what is seen. Hope for what is unseen. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ and the glory that is to come. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your promises, and I'm, I'm going to hold you to them, God. Help us through this suffering. Help us to see where others are suffering. Help us to be open about our suffering so that we can come along with one another. Help us to understand that it's good and it's shaping us and it's moving us and it's transforming us individually and together as the church. And it's a witness to the world that we suffer well. And they go, that makes no sense. And they see that God is our Abba Father. Lord, help us through this. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on what is unseen Today, but will be seen face to face in glory one day. Help us to keep our eyes affixed to Jesus Christ. Help us to suffer well, God. Help us to intercede for one another as you are interceding for us. Help us to recognize that we are in the will of our good and blessed Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.